Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday Morning MV Pro Call. Today is August 26th, and I'd like to welcome those of you that are here live, as well as those of you listening to this via recording, which of course you can do by subscribing to whatever podcast application you use, um, or by going to motorvitality.com, where you can listen to years and years and years and years worth of archives. Um, we definitely appreciate having you on live, as always, though, as part of the discussion. For those of you new to the call today, um, joining us because of our guest speaker, I uh, want to just give you a brief explanation of what this call is. We hold this call every Thursday. Um, it is a gathering for water treatment professionals, regardless of your uh, what brand or manufacturer or position is. Um, and we talk about things that are related to the industry as a whole. We do not talk product and we don't talk company. Um, but we hopefully talk about things that, that every single one of us run into every day in the home or in the field or uh, just out, out and about. Um, normally, we would start off with a little discussion on, on uh, um, what uh, has happened over the last week and any, any uh, questions that we have. But today, we are honored to have a guest speaker um, continuing in the tradition of, of having past, immediate past WQA presidents on our call as a guest, DJ Shanahan, um, last year's uh, WQA president, has uh, has joined us. Um, DJ has been in the industry for just over 30 years, since 1990. Started off with portable exchange tanks way back when, and when, and has since um, moved up. Now owns four Culligan dealerships in the um, in the uh, Mid Atlantic region. Um, a couple other things of note, in addition to being past president, DJ has um, actually w was really involved in, if you haven't read it or researched it, I, I know many of you on this call probably have, but the septic system study that came out, DJ was instrumental in, in um, helping that happen, which was one of the, um, I, I think, one of the best studies that WQRF has done. It's been very beneficial to, um, to many of us in the field. Um, DJ is also a Regents Award winner uh, from WQA and also a Key Award winner um, in 2008 and 2013, respectively. So, um, DJ, I am honored and pleased to have you on the call. Um, I do want to remind everybody that if you have, um, you know, we have a lot of people on the call today, so it, if you could mute yourselves, please, uh, unless you have a question or a comment, uh, that would be very much appreciated. And uh, um, We'll uh, we'll go from there. So DJ, welcome. Thanks thanks very much for uh, joining us. Well, Kelly, thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you giving everybody a a little bit of a rundown on on my history. And I'm sure we'll get into a bit more about um, you know what WQA has meant to me and my career uh, in this industry. So, DJ, I like these conversations just to be a little casual, and, and if it's going to be like it has typically been 30 minutes is going to just fly by, um, and there's so many things I want to talk to you about. But uh, first and foremost, let's let's talk about, um, you know, your, your experience. I mean, you came in, uh, you know, as president of WQA, and you've been on the board for what two terms, two consecutive terms, right? So six years uh, on the board of directors, um, Actually, and you came in. Go, go ahead. I was on the board from 2005 to 2011, so I served two consecutive three-year terms, 
and then uh, was going through some changes in my company. I actually left um, the brand that we had been with for 20 years and uh, and moved over to Culligan. And between that change, uh, bringing in a business partner, um, doing some other acquisitions, it really was consuming so much of my yeah. time that I couldn't serve on the board. But once I got that behind me, came back on the board uh, in 2017 and uh, and then went to the Board of Governors and, and through the process. So not necessarily so, through the order they always do, but through the process anyhow to become president. Yeah, that salary you get as a board of director for WQA just doesn't <laughs> quite cover it, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a volunteer organization, you know. So, um, so what in that time, DJ, prepared you for for leading the association during a zombie apocalypse? Well, you know, it's it's kind of funny. We were at one of the things that uh, that the board of governors gets to do. One of the fun things that we get to do is every year we do a retreat, and it's a working retreat, but we go someplace nice. You know, we've been to we've been to Cabo, we've been to Mexico, uh, and we were planning on going to Key West during my year. That was the place I had chosen. But um, we always do some level of roast of the immediate past president. And so at our last uh, in-person retreat, which was in Cabo, we were uh, we were roasting Chris Wilker, and uh, we made the comment that all of the things that had to be canceled or changed or altered or what have you during his term as president, they said, that's unprecedented. That will never happen again. Well, we shouldn't have said that because that was the <laughs> end of January of, of uh, last year. And within a month and a half, we were in the throes of COVID and, and what the heck we were going to do. And, and, you know, all of those decisions that had to be made, uh, canceling convention, uh, obviously the, the premier decision that had to be made right away, uh, but lots of other stuff. And, and needless to say, my year as president was not how I had envisioned it. Yeah, so Chris, Chris had, we had done our first virtual um, leadership conference. So it was, that was mid-year and they had canceled and we had done virtual, a virtual meeting because of the hurricane coming through. So right. um, that was like a dry run <laughs> for uh um, for what you were going to have do. So how do you think it went? I mean, you know, what? How, how do you think that that has changed the Water Quality Association or the industry in general? You know, what, um, what will last? What, will, what changed? What's the biggest change and in, in what will remain, you know, long after we go back to normal? I would say from the membership perspective, I think that WQA did a really fantastic job of helping prepare us for the decisions that we have to make as business owners. I mean, I could, I could tell you, for my company personally, I stayed in touch with the WQA guidance on a daily basis, and then we put together our own phase out of business and phase back into business. We put a four-phase process in place based on guidance that we were getting from WQA and, you know, the CDC and, and World Health Organization, but primarily WQA guidance, and that allowed us to try and have certain milestones where we would say, when this happens, we're going to move to phase two. When this happens, we're going to move to phase three, and so forth. And so, you know, try and do the business that's the most absolutely essential, but understand when there's a lot of unknowns, 
Maybe we don't do some of the things we might normally do, primarily in-home presentations for customers or potential customers that we don't know, and we don't know what the risks are. That was something that we, we took very seriously. But I think W2A did a really great job helping educate our members on what we needed to know so that we could be prepared to make these decisions. And obviously, one of the immediate things that happened was being deemed essential by the director of the EPA. Now, just think about this. Yeah. Just a few years ago, the EPA had no idea who the Water Quality Association was or that our industry even really existed. But all of a sudden, we've got Director Wheeler, who not only knows who we are and actually spoke virtually uh, at our convention, but that he actually deemed us as essential, named us specifically. And, and then we had the write-up that followed immediately, same day, from WQA, with the quotes from Director Wheeler, I put that in every service vehicle I have, along with a, a statement from me on my letterhead, so that if we got stopped, they would say, okay, you are essential, you're allowed to be on the road. Because we work in some states, Pennsylvania specifically, where when the, when the lockdowns were first happening and really the world didn't know what to do, uh, if, you were got, if you were called on the road driving and you were not deemed essential, you were getting fined and you were being sent back yeah. to your place of business. And so I think these things really, really helped our, our dealer members for sure. I know they helped my dealership. So, you know, we got to give a, a shout out to Dave Loveday, um, who sadly is, is no longer with us. But um, I know you worked really closely with Dave and to to make all that happen. And man, he's going to be sorely missed in the future. Dave for sure. sorely missed. Dave was, Dave was a great ally, a great colleague, and a passionate guy. Boy, if you want to see, he was almost like a kid in the candy shop when you went to D.C. He just loved that hustle and bustle. He loved the way that the government works, and he loved being a part of it, and his passion shone through. And I'm going to tell you, I got the pleasure of, during one of my early D.C. fly-ins, of having uh, being on his team. And to go around with uh, with he and Don McGee, who's another passionate industry guy, yep. man, did we have that? That made it really worthwhile. And uh, and but back then, I can tell you, we really weren't carrying a lot of mail. You know, we were just we're the WQA and we're out here as a resource and call us if you need us. Well, by golly, we're carrying the mail now. I mean, we've we've gone in, as you know, Kelly. You've been to several of these fly-ins. You know, we go in there now. And we're tackling PFAS, and and yeah. they're looking for us because they know the government is going to be a few more years before they even decide which PFAS to regulate and what those regulation levels will be. In the meantime, states are trying to do their own thing. Consumers are screaming for relief. Everybody wants treatment. What can we do? We're the best resource for them to turn to. So I think that's been really powerful. And and so PFAS thing, I think, has really helped move us forward. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the other initiatives that are going now. But I want to be sure I, I clarify one thing. And I've been saying this for at least the last six months, that one of the silver linings from COVID is that the world has a new appreciation for access to high-quality drinking water. Yes. And, and you look back at, you know, everybody was focused on the bare shelves uh, where toilet paper was concerned. Well, let me tell you, the shelves were bare where bottled water was concerned as well. And, and you cannot live without bottled water. And customers that were taking 
say three bottles a month, we're taking 10 bottles a month all of a sudden. Customers that had a water softener in their home that said they didn't need an RO were calling to get an RO added. I mean, our whole mm-hmm. industry has experienced an uptick like we haven't seen in quite some time. And that truly is because, in my mind at least, consumers have a true understanding and appreciation now for quality drinking water. And I really think that's one of the silver linings that this industry specifically is going to remember from the pandemic. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's made people aware, and, you know, and they've taken the time to sit down. And I mean, even, even the, on a smaller scale, you know, they were working from home and, and started to really focus on, on their home a lot more. You know, it gave them the time to, okay, I got to sit down and do this now. And so that's been, uh, been definitely huge. Um, I mean, the home improvement industry, for sure, you know, 40% picking sales from huge, you know, mega retailers like Home Depot and and Lowe's. They certainly saw it right away. And we're seeing it too. And now, because it's it's uptick so fast, now we're seeing the crunch of the supply chain issues. So, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. But, man, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'd rather have the problem we're having today, sales are booming, and I'm having trouble getting product, then uh, what am I going to do to pay my bills this month? Yeah. Hey, DJ, let me, let me, um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the Home Depot and stuff like that. I know when I first came in the industry, that was, you know, the box stores were the, were the big, um, you know, everybody, how do you sell against the box stores? And then as the internet became, people were were doing a lot more online shopping. I, I, it's been really interesting to see the changes in this industry over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years. I, I'm 23. I think you've got a few more years in the industry than me, but um, I, I'm 23 years in now. So, um, But uh, it, it's been really interesting. Where do you, and, and I don't, I didn't prepare you for this question at all. So if you're not prepared to answer or talk about it, I completely understand and we'll move on to something else. But um, I, I'm curious about your opinion of where the direction of the industry is going. You know, we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of the, you know, Franklin, Franklin Electric coming in, A.O. Smith coming in. What do you, what do you see happening, you know, as far as that trend goes with our industry, and how will that impact the, the you know, many of the people on this call listening are sales professionals that are, you know, working for an, a small independent dealer um, or a uh, you know, they, there are some owners and managers of small independent dealers um, on this call. How will that impact our industry as a whole, do you think? Well, a, a bit difficult to, to say for sure because none of us have a crystal ball. But I will tell you, for my company specifically, one of the things that I looked at when I was looking at my territories is, and, and the big box you know, competition was one of the reasons why, I wanted to be in a problem water market, uh, a bit tougher to design systems, a bit tougher to uh, make sure they're going to work the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But, but that's one thing that the big box stores can't offer. They yeah, cannot true. offer expert water testing. They cannot offer the correct system design, and they can't offer the follow-up maintenance after the install. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. So I think the role of the dealers is always going to be we're the ones that know how to install it best. 
And I think one thing that, that we have to do as an industry is we have to be sure we're recognized by the people that require certain licenses and certifications to do the work. Why wouldn't we be leading that pack instead of a master plumber, for example? We should be the ones that should be doing the design of the system, the installation of the system, and the maintenance of the system. And a master plumber does not necessarily understand how to properly apply the equipment, and most of them do not have follow-up maintenance programs. I think that's really where the key for this industry is going to go. And I think that as a traditional dealer, I want to be sure that I'm prepared to latch on to whatever level of installs and whatever level of service may come from all the different ways that consumers may be going about purchasing their equipment, whether that be through a big box store or through online. I think our dealers need to be prepared that they're still going to need us. The consumer may have bought the system somewhere else. They're still going to need the professional dealer. We are the ones that are going to keep that system. We're going to make sure it works in the first place. We're going to keep it operating. And that's something I think we all need to be prepared for. And you've heard, if you've listened to anything that that I've been talking about or anything that my compadres at WQA have been talking about, it's always coming down to education, certification. And, and Kelly, I know that's been huge for you. You've played a big role in um, mentoring a lot of people through the MEP program. I can't tell you how critical this is going to be for our members when initiatives like California Safer are passed into law, when initiatives like the Clean Water for All program are passed into law, and they're going to require some level of license or certification to sell, install, and maintain this equipment. And we don't have enough certified professionals in this industry to be able to be prepared for the demand that's coming. And I would hate to see people like the plumbers get the lion's share of this work that our industry works so hard to try and bring forth. So I, I can't stress it enough if you don't have a certification or you don't have a license to do the work where you are, please go to WQA and get certified. We're working on trying to make the MEP a bit more streamlined. We're working on ways to make it a bit easier to get through and maybe a little less time consuming. All of that's part of the new strategic plan that's being developed right now, but I can't urge you enough if you're not certified, you really need to get certified. And there's no better place to go to learn what we do than the MEP program that's offered through the Water Quality Association. Uh, live new live course being taught by Moto Vitality on October 7th. If you're interested, please join the website. <laughs> Take a moment there to plug plug a little uh, certification. So space is limited. I think we need to do that because we we've got to keep pushing this forward. I yeah. just to tell you the biggest fear those the, the leaders of the association and the leaders of the industry that are going to Washington D.C. writing this. Uh, legislation and writing these uh, rebate programs and things like that, like clean water for all. That's their biggest fear. They know that our manufacturers have the products that are third-party certified that will meet the needs of the consumer. We don't have the confidence that we have the number of certified professionals out there to do the work. And when you compare that to the 
hundreds of thousands, probably millions of plumbers uh, that are out there. And then you go look, okay, so I'm a senator and this is my state. How many certified individuals do you have? And we run the list and we have four people in the entire state. That's not going to bode well for us. So we need to be better prepared. You know, and it's one of my biggest challenges, DJ, kind of on that same, that same thread um, is there's always been a disconnect I felt between the manufacturers and and even the salespeople that are bringing the product to market, you know. So, so you have when we go to DC, um, which I man, I agree with you. The first, it's amazing the difference in the last couple years versus the first couple that I went, you know, where you saw um, just the reception. They're so much more aware. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, it, it's such a great time. I encourage everybody to go when we start going again live. Um, but. Uh, but I, I think there's been a challenge between, you know, the engineers, the people in the that that make the stuff and do the R and D, um, you know, and the the manufacturers, and and then the the salespeople, the people on the street, you know, out there um, supposedly educating the customers. I mean, for traditionally for years and years and years, it was just here's a script, go, you know, go do this script and sell stuff. And it's becoming more and more important, I think, to for sales professionals or even um, internal personnel within the organization to at least have some knowledge of how this stuff works. It can't just be a script in a magic show anymore, Um, not if we're going to raise the credibility um, of the industry as a whole and and get the attention of the people that are passing laws that directly affect what we do for a living. Would, Would you agree with that? Absolutely, because here's what I would say. You know, when, when I first came into this, into this industry, we were largely a more of an aesthetics kind of association. You know, we focused on secondary drinking water contaminants. In my market, iron is the primary driver. Well, iron's a secondary drinking water contaminant. You can drink all the water, you know, all the iron you want. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, and there are several other things that are secondary drinking water contaminants, you know, hardness and manganese and things like that that we treat and, we, and we've spent a lot of time focusing on, but they're not the health effects. They're not the primary drinking water standards. When we start moving over into things like arsenic and lead and nitrates and PFAS, people's lives are at stake. We have to know how to apply the proper product given the water conditions coming into the home, and we have to be sure we know how to maintain it. And that is a whole different level of professional besides the one that learned how to do, you know, go through a flip chart presentation and do, you know, the hand washing and the soap and the towels, you know, the washing machine side by side, beakers and all of that stuff. All that's great. We still do that. And that's still going to be the backbone of our industry. But the, the goals change and the stakes change when you're focusing on these primary drinking water standards and people's health. And that's where we've got to get really, really serious. And I'm just afraid we're not quite there yet. I know one thing, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I didn't know that our team here has the knowledge to properly apply products to remove VOCs, to remove arsenic, yeah. to remove PFAS. Yeah, and agreed, that, 100%. That's, that's the training that you're going to get 
when you go through these uh, MEP programs and, and get certified through WQA. There's a couple other things I want to I want to cover with you. Um, one, uh, before we run out of time, and I think if we can, um, you know, we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but uh, you know, why would or what would you say to somebody coming into this industry fairly new? You know, um, I think on this call right now, I've got somebody on the call that is that is actually still in the um, interview process. That somebody, I'm not sure sure if they made it on here or not, but um, somebody that we are actually considering um, bringing on for for a dealer. Um, you know, what would you say to somebody that had had only recently come into the industry or was considering coming into this industry? Why would they get involved with WQA? Uh, you know, at that level, uh, and and what advice would you give somebody coming into the industry brand new? I would say this, you know, first of all, I think the industry itself, our future is brighter than ever, you know, and, and we provide a very valuable service to consumers. You know, they need a professional advocate who understands that we're talking about improving the quality of their lives through better water. And, and that has to be our mission. And the WQA is the association that's going to help us follow through on that mission. And, and to that end, when I say our future is brighter than ever, we just talked about a couple of, of initiatives that are legislation that will, uh, that will specifically name point of use and point of entry devices as approved technologies to handle certain problems. But the other thing, think about the excitement around the new headquarters for WQA. And if you, if you haven't seen any of the pictures yet, uh, if you're planning on coming to the Mid-Year Leadership Conference next month, there's actually going to be you can sign up for a tour uh, at the grand opening for the new headquarters. And this really positions us as the leader. I can tell you I had the opportunity to go to um, the American Waterworks Association's headquarters in Denver, Colorado. And when you walk in there, there is no question that AWWA is the big pipe leader. When it comes to municipally supplied water, 80% of that water in this country uh, supplied by AWWA members. These are the big guys. And you walk in and you sit in that boardroom and you go, oh, my God, you know, these are these are the big players here. How do we get like them? Well, let me tell you, when you come and see what we've built at WQA, we're, you're going to be just as impressed. And when AWWA now comes to see us, they're going to realize we're a real player in this industry. And so that's part of the new strategic plan, in fact, for our industry to move forward is to better align ourselves with uh, associated industries like AWWA, like the well drillers, like the plumbers, to verify and understand that we are all in this together. Protecting the public health is paramount to what we do. And that's a whole lot different than being thought of as the water softener guys. You know, if, if our yeah. new strategic plan plays out the way we think it's going to, we will be the drinking water professionals not the water softener guys. We will be focusing on the health effects of treating people's water and not the aesthetic impacts that we can have. And I think all of that bodes very well because those are the things that consumers, they, they may want a water softener, but they may need a treatment system for PFAS or for arsenic or for nitrate. And that's where we've got to get prepared. So in my mind, 
our future is brighter than ever. I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, to that end, I, I know one of the um, focuses for WQA has been in bringing young people into the industry, you know, to, because I think a couple years ago at mid-year, somebody referred to it as the silver tsunami, you know, where yeah. you look around and everybody that, that has experience or knows anything. Go ahead. Go ahead. Lauren DiCello nailed us with silver tsunamis, and you're right. And, and to that end, you know, that's really why I created the LEAD program, because we don't do a very good job, in my opinion, of looking for our next level of leaders. In fact, I had a bunch of people ask me, how did, you know, how do you become WQA president? How did you get on the board of directors? You know, the, the, the path really wasn't very clear for that. So, you know, I spent uh, most of my year as president describing what that, that path is. Uh, and understanding that you know you've got to you've got to get on a committee or a section or an advisory council, and become an active member, uh, and then you know potentially vice chair, uh, or, and then chair one of those. Uh, and when you do that, we recognize that you're serious about this industry, and you're passionate about this industry like we are, and then your name could be considered for what may be down the road for you. So the lead program, which is the leadership engagement development program we created during my year as president so we could take these young people who have shown a passion for the industry, pair them up with a mentor who is a current board of director and share with them more about the path forward to leadership. And I can tell you I'm very proud that we had uh, 10 mentees during our first year. I had two of them uh, myself that I mentored and we have some very good names that are now atop the list of candidates that we will consider when the nominating committee meets to see who the next board of director candidates are. So that's a, a great program. And Kelly, I know uh, you're invited in, I believe. Yeah, I, I, it's official. I am part of that program, and I appreciate you calling me one of the young people coming into it. Silver <laughs> 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 tsunami dude here. You're still <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah, I know. I, you know, when I look around at 50 and I'm the youngest guy in the room, I'm like, okay, we got to do something about this. DJ, yeah, our, our time is up, but if you can give me five more minutes, I, and, and uh, typically we, we try and end it right at um, 30 minutes, but do you have five more minutes to, for, for one more question? Sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm always curious about, um, the changes that you know uh, that you've seen. You know what has surprised you most in the industry uh, in your time. You know you came in kind of kind of fresh in the industry. You know 30 years ago, and you've worked your way up through uh, different levels of the industry. But what is what has been the biggest surprise? You know what has caught you by surprise in terms of changes with the industry? Well. I try not to get caught by surprise on too many things, which is one of the reasons why I stay uh, as in tune with the WQA as I can be. But I will tell you uh, my story on how I got really active in WQA was something that caught us by surprise. In the state of Delaware, oh, God, I don't know. This was 2008, 2009. No, 98, 99, that, that time frame. Um, there was some legislation that was getting ready to be introduced on the Senate floor in Delaware that was gonna make it virtually impossible for any water treatment dealer to do an in-home water presentation. 
And I, I won't go into the details about why they felt that was necessary other than to say that there was one uh, branded uh, company out there that was uh, disparaging the water quality of the public water, specifically yeah. going after public water systems and stating that they had things in their water that could kill you. That's not who yeah. we are. That's not what we do. But this legislation was getting ready to drop on the Senate floor, and it literally would have outlawed in-home presentations. Well, I think everybody on this call can imagine what that would do to you if you can't go in-home and sit down across the kitchen table and test the water and do your presentation and build the value in our product, sales would have tanked. And so I had no idea what to do. I reached out to WQA, and WQA immediately that day got on the phone to the senator that was sponsoring the bill, got us a meeting that day with that senator, had WQA representation in the room, along with myself and a couple other uh, dealers that worked in the state of Delaware. And then the next day, I actually spoke on the Senate floor about our products and what we do and what the ethical dealers in this industry do. And by the way, plug for our code of ethics. If you are not willing to follow the code of ethics of the Water Quality Association, yeah. you can't be in this association, yeah. period. Yes. We have a no tolerance policy for ethics violations. So we wanted to share with them what ethical dealers actually do in the home and how we educate the consumer and how we pair the right products with the problems that we find. And so that changed that legislation drastically. And all we had to do was make sure we had a badge on that identified who we were and what company we worked for so that we didn't try and pull the wool over their eyes and say we're with the water company or with the water utility specifically. And the other thing we had to do was if we were testing a public water supply, we had to back up our field test results with a lab test. So right. by that allowing to work in homes, and that was something that would have been taken away from us. And that one, like I said, that snuck up on us. We had less than two days to react, but we got the legislation changed to something that works for our folks, and it was WQA at the forefront making that happen. You know, I, I got to say, on the heels of that, that's something Dave taught me early on, um, Dave, going back to Dave Loveday again, when I, I remember a conversation I had with him in Texas, and it, it's highlighted by exactly what you're just saying there, that that the, the purpose, the primary purpose of any association is in legislative influence, helping address regulatory issues. And the only way an association has the ability or the strength to do that is in its membership, it's in involvement. And so everything else that, that an association does to increase its membership, to encourage involvement, is so that when those things sneak up on you, like this situation in Delaware, you have the, the, the numbers to be heard. You know, if you have an association of 10 people, you're not getting that meeting with the senator. Um, exactly. And so you've got to have that that strength in membership early. That's one of the reasons I think, um, you know, my committee, the Professional Certification Committee is so critical because we've got to not only have the strength in membership to get those, to get those meetings and, and the credibility in our certifications, but we've got to have the knowledge once we get that meeting to be able to communicate that to the people 
in a way that it makes sense to them that we don't seem like just the the you know uh, somebody going out there trying to scare people into buying stuff or bashing the the municipal water systems um dj I, I, go ahead go ahead please i couldn't have said it better that's exactly what our efforts need to be and that's why we have such a strict code of ethics yeah DJ, I, I love having conversations with you. I, um, I, uh, I wish we had more time. Like I said, these conversations always just, uh, they go way too fast. Um, but I, I, you've been very gracious with your time, uh, both on this call and with your, um, the work that you've done on, on behalf of this industry that I, I am so proud to be part of. Um, thank you very much. Everybody else, uh, I will put uh, DJ's contact information uh, in the description of this podcast once we get it uploaded. Um, and uh, if anybody has any questions or, or comments, please feel free to reach out. And then join us next week where we'll, um, we'll go back to our discussion call and, and actually have, uh, have conversation. DJ, it was an honor and a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks in, uh, in Chicago. So. Great. I'll see you there. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate the time. All right. Thank you so much, Thanks, DJ. Everybody. All right.